This is Sonically Speaking, and I'm Justin Savage. On this show, we talk to people who have taken a different path in life and find out how they got there. On this episode, we talk with Jacqueline Van Meter of StoryCorps. She and her crew are traveling across the country in Airstream, documenting people's personal stories. We get the ins and the outs of that. Everybody's got a story to tell, but what's important about remembering these stories? Maybe some people got to get some stuff off their chest and they just don't know how. I talk with Jacqueline Van Meter of StoryCorps, and she tells me why it's important to remember these things. Some of those we probably want to forget. But let's listen and find out why it's important to preserve these stories. Start by uh, stating uh, who you are sure. and where, like, uh, where we are and why you're here. Okay. So my name is Jacqueline Van Meter. I'm the site manager for the StoryCorps mobile tour. Um, that means that I have come to the city of Chattanooga for five weeks with an Airstream trailer owned by StoryCorps that records conversations between people. We're here in the library right now, uh, the Chattanooga Public Library, and I'm excited to be talking to you. Well, I'm very happy that you're here. So what is StoryCorps? So StoryCorps is a nonprofit, an independent nonprofit, and we're this kind of funny hybrid between media and oral history. So, in practical terms, teams at StoryCorps travel around the country through various means. Um, we're with the StoryCorps mobile tour, which is the infamous Airstream trailer. And we travel around the country with that trailer. We set up shop in a new community every five weeks. And when we arrive, we collaborate with different community organizations, like the library here, for example, and others, um, and with the public radio stations to get the word out that we're there and to invite people to set up an appointment to come in and sit down in our studio and record an uninterrupted 40-minute conversation with someone from their life. And the idea is that they're having this intentional, uninterrupted dialogue, which is pretty transformative in and of itself, surprisingly. They have the opportunity, if they want to give us permission, to archive that conversation in the Library of Congress, where we're building out this oral history collection made up of all of these kinds of conversations. And then, of course, we also have partnerships nationally with NPR and locally with public radio member stations like WUTC, so that we can edit and share some snippets from these longer conversations that take place in the booth, so that people can sort of discover one another and, and glean a little something from the wisdom and the joy and the grief and the, you know, the learnings that people share when they record in that booth. So uh, when did StoryCorps get started? We started back in 2003 as an organization with a little uh, recording booth that was set up in Grand Central Station in New York. People seemed to respond to the idea. Uh, and since we were thinking about archiving, we thought, well, let's make an archive that's really representative of experiences across the United States. So in 2005, we unveiled the mobile tour, right, this traveling recording studio, and that's how we started collecting these stories coast to coast. And what was the genesis behind wanting to archive stories, or, or who, who is behind this? It's a great question. So our founder is a man named Dave Isay, who his background was in um, radio documentary. Um, and he was in particular kind of interested in recording stories and interviews with folks that were, you know, quote unquote, marginalized, right? People who were often overlooked, underrepresented or unrepresented in historical narrative or in kind of mainstream media stories and giving them the opportunity to sort of speak for themselves about their lives. And he discovered in the process of interviewing folks, and he also experimented a little with giving people microphones and saying, why don't you go and interview your family and then bring the equipment back to me? And he discovered in this process two things. One, that 
Simply the act of being interviewed could be a really empowering experience, especially for people who've been, you know, told directly or indirectly their whole lives that their stories don't matter, right? And two, that giving someone the microphone and saying, ask some questions, gives people permission to ask questions that they wouldn't necessarily ask in day-to-day -day life, you know? Things like, well, what are you most proud of, mom? You know, are you proud of me, dad? And having a really intentional conversation about it because the microphone is there to sort of add this like formality to the interaction. And so he discovered, okay, these incredible conversations that wouldn't take place otherwise are happening because of these microphones. And we have an opportunity to give people the experience to honor one another and to feel honored and to remind themselves of the stories of their own lives and that they matter. There is an additional part of the story, which is that when Dave was a kid, he, um, you know, was playing around with recording equipment and was inspired one Thanksgiving, I think, to record um, some of his elder family members, aunts, uncles, great aunts, great uncles, and then he lost the tape. And he's been looking for it ever since. Every time he goes back to his family home, he's always fishing through the closets looking for that tape and he can't find it. So that, I think, really instilled in him that as an organization, if we're going to prompt people to have these conversations, we want to make sure that the recordings are never lost. And he's involved? He's still the founder. He's still the head of the, the, head of the ship. Um, and so the Library of Congress was just a natural fit, right? We're you know, documenting the history of the United States, and um, and this is oral history in this sort of interpersonal way. And so they were a great fit for us to archive these conversations so that we're creating this huge tapestry of American voices and perspectives, and also ensuring for the folks who are contributing to it that those conversations are never lost. So uh, after Grand Central Station, what was the next uh, growth out of that? How did, it, how did it expand from there? So since then, of course, it, it, Grand Central was 2003. The StoryCorps mobile tour, AKA the Airstream trailer was 2005. Um, and it's basically been on the road ever since. And then from there, I think a little bit later in like 2008, 2009, um, StoryCorps played around with this idea of having fixed story booths. So sort of brick and mortar operations in specific communities. Um, we've had a number of them over the years. The ones that are still in operation today, uh, there's one in Atlanta, Georgia, in the Atlanta History Center. There was one at the Chicago Cultural Center in Chicago, Illinois. And until just a couple years ago, we also had one out in San Francisco that unfortunately closed, um, I think, the beginning of last year. So how do you choose? How does StoryCorps choose a city that they're going to? What is a prerequisite for uh, a city to get chosen? And uh, that's yeah. about it on how that How does one. that work? How does that work? Like, what's like, I mean, do you guys just throw a dart at a map? Or, like, what's Wouldn't the that deal? be fun? Yeah. I know. It sort of feels like that sometimes. Well, so with the with the mobile tour, right, we, we plan these tours well in advance. I mean, I think we knew where we were going to be in 2019 by August, September of 2018. We were finalized and sort of announced those those dates. So we really have to put together, you know, a, a, a calendar year tour about, you know, seven months to a year ahead of time. And there are a couple of factors that play into that. One, of course, we want this archive that we're creating to be as representative as possible. And so where have we not been? Where have we not been in a while, right? Let's make sure that we're getting to all different corners and regions of the United States. But two, we need collaborators. You know, we can't get there on our own. So we always partner with a local public radio station to get the word out, to kind of help us to figure out where the staff is going to live because we've got, you know, staff that comes out and they're living in that community full time for five weeks. Um, so we really need a great collaborator from a public radio station to sort of help us get 
the lay of the land, secure the funding to make sure that we have a place to live, um, to work out partnerships so we have a place to put the booth, right? For example, we're here in Chattanooga. Um, WUTC was great about introducing us to, you know, the folks from the city of Chattanooga. And we decided on Miller Park, a great location right in the heart of things. Um, but we really need somebody at the public radio station to help us with that. Now, lastly, um, we're an Airstream trailer. So there are some sort of, you know, weather conditions that we have to take into consideration. So you'll notice if you look back at previous tours that we're usually pretty far north in the summer and pretty far south in the winter. Right. Last year, we spent the summer in Wyoming and North Dakota. Um, and this past winter, we were in, you know, Georgia, Florida for two months. <laughs> so, yeah, we have to take that into consideration as well. Are you choosing on demographics? I mean, you say you're going where you haven't been before, but are you also choosing on as far as demographics, as far as uh, the way United States is sort of set up uh, who lives here in the south sort of uh, you know mid-sized city in the south as opposed to like you say Atlanta or Nashville or Memphis you know right exactly yeah we take all of that into consideration you know we try to have a nice mix of you know bigger cities smaller cities um, you know how the demographic makeup of those communities um, you know we we went to Colorado earlier this year, which is a fairly, we were in Fort Collins, which is a, a really interesting community, but relatively white. Um, and so we want to make sure that we're also getting to sort of, um, you know, demographically diverse Sure, you know, and I, well. I want to ask, and I, I mean, I was going to wait to ask you that, but I, I, I'm really curious about mm -hmm. that. How do, you know, I guess that will fall under the parameter of how does the word get out and, and how do people get uh, exposed to you? That being said, before you answer that, uh, I guess we can jump right into, uh, so how, how diverse is it? And and, you know, how conscious are you guys of making it diverse? Because when you think NPR, and I'm only saying NPR because that's how I hear it, sure. you think of white, you think of uh, uh, a male, or you think of a woman in her 50s. And I'm With not a graduate degree. Exactly. And I'm not <laughs> trying to be a, a stereotype or sure. anything. I'm just saying that's, you know, you say NPR, mm -hmm. you know. That's what you think of. So yeah, that, I'm, that's, and I'm that's really a, curious. That's one section of the population, and it certainly doesn't reach everybody. Although NPR is great, and we hope that one day it does. Um, no, but for sure, you know, it's incredibly important to us. That I mean, really fundamental to StoryCorps' mission is that the archive that we create represents the demographic diversity of the United States as a whole. And so that goes into our thinking on you know kind of the macro level when we're looking at the tour. Okay, well, are we making sure that we're hitting you know cities collectively that will help us to reflect? back, generally speaking, the demographic breakdown of the United States at large. And then from there, we're really, really intentional when we go to communities about making sure that we are reaching out to a real broad spectrum of community members. So well before we roll into town here in Chattanooga, um, we've got um, a person who's dedicated full time back in our Brooklyn headquarters to reaching out to community organizations in the cities and towns that we visit and asking, are you interested in collaborating with us to recruit participants who might be interested in documenting their story? So we're working with the public library here. We're working with um, Mark Making, um, which is a, a really interesting sort of um, community empowerment through the arts organization up on Glass Street, Glass Street Collective, kind of they work hand in hand. Um, they, they do interesting programs for, you know, incarcerated folks, um, you know, using art, mural art, expression, things like that. And so, um, you know, that's just scratching the surface. We, we dedicate almost half, if not more than half, of our appointment slots when we get to a town um, to... Uh, you know, giving priority to the organizations that we're reaching out to so that we can get the word out, so that we can let people know, hey, you have an opportunity to tell your history in your own terms, 
in your own voices to talk about whatever you want. Take that recording, do with it what you will, and add it to the Library of Congress. So no one else is telling your history for you, you're telling it for yourself. So it's a very conscious thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, you know, in, in, a, in a sort of a bigger sense, StoryCorps over the years has really prioritized trying to, um, to interact with and to engage with communities that wouldn't otherwise necessarily be participating in oral history, so to speak. Um, we've had funded initiatives over the year for specific kinds of projects. I think our first funded initiative was called the, the Grio Project, and we were specifically focused on stories from, you know, the African-American experience in the United States. Um, historias, which is focused on, you know, recordings with folks from the Latinx community. Um, we've done an Out Loud initiative, LGBTQ member, uh, community members. Um, our latest We've got a Military Voices initiative, so we're specifically working with organizations that work with active servicemen and women and veterans. Um, and our newest one, which is kind of our, our flashy one right now, which is a little bit a little bit stressful, is um, One Small Step, which is an initiative we have where we're actually bringing together two people to sit down who consider themselves from opposite sides of the political divide ah. to try to use that story core model of intentional conversation and listening to see if they can tap into one another's humanity instead of just their political affiliation. Sure, I can feel the heat from that one right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a work in progress. Uh, so uh, let's get back then to the question that was preceding what I asked you. So how do you get the word out when you come into the, the city? How do you get uh, the word out to the community, uh, not just the NPR station, I guess, but how do you get the word out that this is available uh, for people to come? And then what is usually uh, what comes back to you after you get the word out? And what's the ingestation period, I guess, as far as the time frame when you get to a city right. and when people start responding and when you start booking up? Right. Well, okay. So I think probably the, the most important way that we get our word out is, um, as I said before, through that outreach that we do with community organizations. And there's a lot of work that goes into that. Um, and not necessarily every um, every partner that we work with will um, you know, be recruiting participants and booking appointments, but they certainly help us to get the word out, even if they don't necessarily have the capacity to, you know, organize two people to come in and record. They can tell their community members. Um, it's also really important for us to think about where we're parked in the community. You know, I mean, Miller Park is kind of in the center of town. It's accessible. Um, you know, it's it's got some buzz around it because it's a relatively new community space. Um, but we want to make sure that we're we're in a part of town where people can see us. People would stumble upon us and go, "What is this?" Um, um, you know, and that's a place that people feel comfortable going to and that people can get to easily, that it is, you know, sort of accessible through public transportation and other means. Um, and yeah, so so that's a really big part of it, too. I mean, there's this kind of shiny silver Airstream trailer with a big canopy out front. Right. Um, and people want to know, are you, are you selling hot dogs? What is this? Um, and so we, our hope is that we are able to, you know, kind of get the word out that way and that people, um, you know, we give people flyers, we tell them to think about it. Um, we always point them to the website, listen to stories, see what we're about. Follow our hashtag, um, which is go for hashtag StoryCorps Mobile Tour, which is yes a promotion, but it's also a really interesting way to see what people do in the booth. I mean, sure. oftentimes when people come and they they have a great experience, they snap a photo from their time in the booth, they share it on their social media, and they say, hey, you know, I brought in my sister, and we talked about what it was like, you know, growing up and you know. Southern Indiana and, you know, how, how life has changed for us since then. Um, you know, here's a photo. Tell your story. This is really important to us. Hashtag StoryCorps Mobile Tour. And if you click on that hashtag, you can see all the different kinds of people who've come in in the last few months and what they've brought, what the experience meant to them. So that's another great way to kind of get the word out. Um, but, yeah, I think at the heart of it, are you know, we rely on our, our station partners because we're only here for five weeks. There's only so much we can do. Right. We really rely on our station partners to help us think about how can we get the word out beyond just promotion. Um, 
you know, through your channels, what other organizations do we need to be talking to? And working with an organization like the Chattanooga Public Library is a great way to do that because, you know, this is an institution that's beloved and, you know, really taken advantage of by so many. It's the coolest joint in town. It sure is. So what is the general, uh, how fast do you get people responding to you? Um, whether it's, I mean, I guess while you're in the city, I mean, mm -hmm. I guess, are, are you booking... When does it start booking as from when you come to the city as right. uh, like pre, you know, because I don't think you can RSVP, can you, like before you come to town? So actually the way that it works is, um, you know, the the station will kind of tell people, you know, a month in advance, two months in advance, like heads up, StoryCorps is coming to town. And then about two weeks before the trailer actually gets to town, the first half of our appointments open up. And the station is just kind of letting people know that through their channels. And then we also have slots reserved that come, you know, that are specifically for those partners that help us do community outreach. Um, and so when we got to Chattanooga and opened our doors just a couple of days ago, the first half of our appointments were pretty much completely booked. And that's in part through those partnerships and then in part through people who heard about it through, you know, for members of the public who heard about it because they are listening to the NPR. Um, so that's, you know, that's kind of the, the balance that we're, that we're constantly wondering about and trying to, to work with because we want the NPR audience to come in and record. Like, we love them, they keep us going. Um, but oftentimes, especially in, in bigger cities where there is a bigger listener base, you know, we say that we're coming to town and as soon as the appointments go online, it's like Rolling Stone tickets, you know, right. they're gone in 15 minutes. I mean, right. that has definitely happened. Um, so yeah, we we try to be very intentional about, you know, we release the second half of appointments basically the day after we get here. So we have a big press event and people come out and they tour the booth and we let people know, hey, appointments are going on online tomorrow. Um, we reserve some at the end for, you know, people that we meet who've kind of walked up who are really interested. Um, so we kind of reserve that stuff towards the end, but it's, you know, it's a funny little balance to figure out how we make it fair for everybody to, to experience StoryCorps, right. whether they're a long-term fan or they're someone who's just discovered it and they really want to get involved. So what is a uh, sort of a, a typical day for you as far as once you have somebody coming in for a session, or I'm not sure exactly what you call them, but are booking, you know, mm -hmm. what what is a day like for uh, the StoryCorps staff? And so how many people are on, on the staff in, in the mobile uh, audio uh, hot dog? Uh, uh, <laughs> the hot dog stand? Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, our team in total, uh, there's myself, I'm the manager, so I'm the one person who's actually with the trailer full-time year-round, um, and the, uh, we have a facilitator staff of three people, and there's two that are on the road at any given time, and the third one is back in the headquarters in Brooklyn, and they kind of alternate. So um, they'll come out, one will be on the road for 10 weeks at a time, and they're staggered, and then they go back for five, and then they come back out for 10 weeks. Um, and so um, it's great because the folks who are back in the office are able to support kind of those outreach efforts, research planning. Oh, okay, so where are we headed next? Washington, D.C. So they're already looking ahead and kind of forging those relationships. And then they come back out on the road and there they are working on the ground with the folks that they've been reaching out to. Um, but as far as a typical day, um, on a typical recording day in the booth, we get there at 10 a.m. to kind of shine things up, get everything warmed up. Um, we put out a little canopy and a little greeting table outside so that when people walk up, you know, they've got a tent that they can hang out under, this little bit of paperwork that they fill out, um, just kind of identify themselves for the archive. Um, and then we, we bring in the 1030 participants to people, you know, people come in in pairs. We kind of orient them, they're recording for 40 minutes, we snap some photos at the end, um, and we have them out the door at 1130 when our next participants arrive. And so we do that seven times a day. We've got seven re uh, recording appointments basically four days a week, 
six on the, the fifth day, a little bit shorter. Um, and so, yeah, we've got one facilitator who's in the booth with the participants as they're recording to kind of manage the behind-the-scenes tech stuff, help them through the process, be a support if need be. And then they come out. That facilitator is now archiving the information for that interview. And the next participants go in with the other facilitator. And on it goes until 7 p.m. And then you just, it's, it's how many days a week do you do this? So it's five days a week total. Okay. And so what happens um, as soon as they're done with the stories, you said that they get uploaded or they get archived? That's right. So we have our internal archive system where we're entering in all of the sort of metadata from the interview, right? So we'll write a summary. Jacqueline and Justin, you know, sit down and talk about what it means to work at StoryCorps and why storytelling matters. And then a, a, a more detailed summary of what they talked about kind of... Um, not minute by minute, but we'd probably write about five to ten points that summarize what they talked about in more detail throughout the 40 minutes. And this is so that, you know, somebody can find it later and say, ooh, I really want to hear about uh, people and how they thought about storytelling in Chattanooga in 2019. And ideally, somebody who works at the library who maybe also has a music background. Oh, great. I found Justin. I want to listen to the story. At minute 15, they talked about X, right? So we're trying to, to provide the detail necessary so that somebody in the future can find this conversation and be happy that they found like it running, it's like what they were looking for. Like running minutes, pretty much, yeah, I guess. You know, totally. Is, like, is what you're, you're, exactly. you're doing there. And, and so, then we assign things like keywords as well, you know, so there, there might be relevant things that people want to look at. And what happens, not only, so it does get uploaded to, it get up, up, uploads to StoryCorps' mm -hmm. database, mm -hmm. but then in turn, doesn't I think it goes so that information gets shared with the Library of Congress Library of Con does mm -hmm. all of it go to Library of Congress or only is it select the, only if the participants choose okay. so any participant who wants to go to the Library of Congress their conversation will be archived but it's really up to them and so, you know sometimes people decide that they don't want to archive for various reasons the conversation goes differently than they anticipated or maybe they you know they spoke about family members and then they're not quite sure that you know they are permitted to sort of speak about their family members and have that archived without getting their family members' permission first. So right. some people are more reserved, but anyone who wants to um, can have their conversation archived. And the stories that get chosen for the uh, NPR uh, airing, which I, I think is every Friday. Is every that right? Friday, and nationally. So, mm -hmm. so how, does that, how does that story get chosen? Is it... Um, a very natural selection, or is it one that naturally tells the story as far as it's emotional and, and you know, there's different things that, that grab you in? So, so how does that work when, when that story's selective? When out of all the ones that you hear, how does right. that one get chosen? That is tough, Justin. And the, the truth is it's a really, really complicated formula. Um, we have a production department based in New York, and we are, you know, every conversation that's recorded, we're writing that summary. Um, we, we will keep an ear out for certain things like, hey, there's a really clear story here. There's a beginning, a middle, and end, and reflection. This would be an easy thing to edit down into something that's very easy and coherent and clear and, and moving. Check it out. Um, but, you know, the production department is, we are recording as an organization thousands of 40-minute conversations each year. Um, and we only have, you know, three to five minutes, 52 times a year, to tell the story. And so I think over the years at StoryCorps, the stakes have gotten a little higher. You know, we're, we're always looking for what is the perspective we haven't shared yet? What is the angle that we haven't looked at yet? Um, and oftentimes, what, what do we need to add to the national conversation? If we're talking about gun violence in schools right now, maybe we want to hear from a parent and child who've actually experienced that, right? Uh, if we're talking about um, climate change, maybe we want to hear from the farmer who, you know, is dealing with severe drought or severe floods. Um, and just trying to look at these topics that are kind of on 
like in the national imagination right now and thinking about how we can bring that down to the concrete and humanize it through really personal stories that don't have an agenda that are really just conversations between two people. Right. Um, but then also, you know, sometimes magic is just magic. There's a character with a funny story that makes you laugh, that makes you cry. Um, sometimes it can be really simple, but it's just, it's tough to know. And I, I for every conversation that makes it on the air, I can assure you that there are 50 conversations that we wish could have made it on the air because they're beautiful and they're inspiring and unique. Um, but yeah, there's only there's only so many opportunities to put something on the radio for three minutes every Friday. And so there's a really rigorous sort of protocol that, that the production department follows in thinking, okay, what is something that we need to hear from that we haven't heard yet? Right, and so as far as the editing is concerned, so once you've picked the story, someone's deciding on how to uh, condense that story, I guess. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of uh, a lot of dissecting there. Oh, yeah. So I don't know how much, I mean, does a lot get lost or does, I mean, I know it's for time and it's for radio, so it's a, right. a, a different scenario, but it seems like you're taking the story lightly and tweaking it. I mean, it's the same story, but you're, you know, right. not manipulating it, but you're just uh, making it a radio format. So it seems like that's a delicate process. Oh, yeah. No, that's a really fair question, too. I mean, it's important to point out, like, our format is what we call a narratorless, right? It's not like... What, explain you, what that is. So, so there is not... There's not a producer that's sort of talking you through the story and including sound bites from the participants the way that you might hear like a traditional news piece on NPR where it's like, well, this is happening in this community and now we're talking to so-and-so and you get 30 seconds from them and then the producer continues to kind of tell the overall story. No, I mean, we're taking a really authentic and oftentimes very intimate interaction between two people and editing it down without, you know, we have a little intro, we have an outro to explain what's happening so that you understand what you're listening to, but the content itself is, is edited down to sound as if that's precisely how the interaction happened, naturally. And so that's a really big responsibility. We are taking these people's voices and intentions and, and, and you know, sort of crafting them into something that we hope and that we always, always aim for uh, to be as much the essence of, of the overall conversation that they were having as possible and that it is as true as it possibly can be to the intention of what they were trying to say. And so, to, you know, with that, we always, um, a producer will reach out to the participants and say, hey, this is how we've edited down your story. What Does this sound okay to you? Does you guys sound, do do that. Oh, yeah. That's cool. Like, is this, is this what you meant to say? Does this sound right? We've got fact checkers on staff and nothing hits the air without participants. That's great. Knowing, like, that's, that's how I meant to communicate it. That's great. Uh, just out of curiosity for myself, how far in advance are you guys as far as your stories go to, to be aired? Oh, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it's we, we move we move pretty quick. I, I have to give a huge shout out to our, our very lean and very mighty production staff back in Brooklyn. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, it's interesting. Like, there will be a topic on, on the mind of the United States, and, um, you know, we'll dig back through the archive and find something that was recorded in 2013 and go, hey, this feels really relevant right now. And so we'll pull something out of the archive and, you know, spend two, three weeks cutting it. Um, and other times, you know, if something comes in and it's like, oh my gosh, they're reflecting on something that just happened, this needs to go out this Friday. And so we have to be, we, the production team, has to be really, really nimble. Um, and it can happen, you know, inside of a week, and sometimes it's a longer process. There's no reruns, are there? 
you know, on occasion we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, I mean, that's something. legal. I'm just asking. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. I mean, of course. And there are certain stories that have just like become really beloved over time. And so those are like great, great standbys. Um, yeah. I mean, usually we're putting out something new each week, but on occasion, you know, we'll, we'll be rerunning things and it depends, you know, it depends on the station as well. They like to rerun things a lot. You know, if they want to play more than just on Friday mornings, Friday morning is when you can expect the latest and greatest, but, um, you know, you can hear on weekend edition and, and other programs. Right. Sometimes they'll share older stuff. So give me uh, a little idea of like what, so someone's coming and say, I'm coming in. What are the, not loose rules, but sort of kind of guidelines that you stick to to have somebody come and say, okay, this is how we do it, and this is uh, go and, and do your thing. And so explain that a little bit, please. Sure. So um, the two people sit down in the booth that you got to see earlier. Um, and I mean, really, the, the, the guidelines are pretty loose. Our goal is for them to feel comfortable and for them to get out of the experience what they want. And, you know, sometimes, you know, I'll see little kids come in and they've got their 15 questions and they'll just rattle them off at mom or dad. And, you know, it's like Q, A, Q, A. You know, other times people will bring in their musical instrument and they'll talk about like their, you know, their relationship with their bandmate and they'll play a couple of songs and then they'll talk about what it means to make music together. Um, you know, people have come in with memoirs and poems. Um, you know, and sometimes people come in by themselves. So it really runs the gamut of the intention that people have. Of course, the idea is, you know, the, the core idea of StoryCorps is listening is an act of love, honor somebody by bringing them in, sitting down and asking them some questions. And so, you know, we just sort of set the tone. This is your time to do with what you will. You're gonna start by introducing yourself. Um, and then once you're done with the introductions, you guys have 40 minutes, do what you need to do. I give personally, again, every facilitator has their own style, but I, I like to give people a couple of pro tips. Namely, you know, it can be really, it seems really obvious, right? Like you're talking to each other. Of course we are. But you have these microphones in front of you. There's a facilitator sitting in the corner kind of bearing witness. And you might be thinking about radio listeners or the Library of Congress, anyone who's going to listen to this in the future. And when people have that, even just sort of subconsciously on the back of their mind, they start to slip into third person. Well, you know, Justin's just been a really important person in my life. And I remember when I met him, he just made me feel really comfortable. And that was 20 years ago. And it's like, well, that's great. But you could say all of that without this person sitting across from you right now. Right. So readjust. And remember, you're talking directly to that person. Tell that person why they are important to you using you and I and we. Um, and sometimes I have to give people a little nudge, like, say you instead of say him. You know, it really, it's less intuitive than you think. Uh, but that for me is the most important part because it changes the dynamic. Saying, I'm, you know, I always wanted my dad to be proud of me versus dad, I've always wanted you to be proud of me. Like there's a totally different tone and feeling to that and it connects the participants and that's really what we're going for. First and foremost, that the, those participants have that chance to really connect and talk directly to one another. Well, it's very intimate in the room and you definitely uh, make the uh, surroundings feel that way, especially when you dim the light, you know, and so yeah. it's, it's really nice and I'm sure it takes it's awkward to have a microphone in front of your face when you're trying to have a natural, unnatural conversation, <laughs> express whatever you want to tell somebody. Right. So I'm sure it's a little jarring, and that's nice that you are uh, guiding somebody or, or whoever's guiding them because everybody needs a little guidance in life anyways. Yeah. <laughs> Don't we all, right? Yeah, yeah but we, we, we definitely we have that 10 minutes at the beginning when participants get there to just kind of demystify the process. You know, we have a sound check where they're, like, getting used to the fact that the microphones are there. And, and really the facilitator's goal is just to sort of make the process feel as unintimidating and accessible as possible. And that's where we started every time. Without going into any specifics, have you had any uh, sort of uh, horror shows or just or <laughs> anything that was kind of like, 
you know, like uh, what, what's going on here or just sort of a, a situation that was uh, not what was supposed to be happening in there and, and how did you kind of deal with that? Right. I mean, it, that's definitely more the exception than the rule, obviously. Um, I think the, the, the trickiest things that we can hit sometimes are are just really subtle. Like, you know, when people come in with a family member that's maybe a little bit less emotionally intuitive than they are, and you can tell that somebody just really wants to have, like, an affirming interaction, and the other person's just kind of out to lunch, <laughs> you know? Um, and that's part of the reason that, that we're there. Like, we're trying to sense, like, what do both of these people want to get out of this experience, and how, what, if anything, do we need to do to try to help them get a little closer to that goal. Um, and so, you know, there might be questions that participants won't necessarily directly ask. And I'll say, this question needs to be asked so that this person can tell their kid, I'm proud of you, or right. I forgive you, you know? Uh, th that's the most likely scenario where things can maybe maybe get a little tricky. And you see people really wanting to have that connecting experience, and for, for some reason their partner might not be totally in the game, um, which is fair, you know? I mean, these intentional conversations require some courageousness, and they're not forever. Um, and then the other thing that, that I think is a little heartbreaking is, I think I mentioned this before, sometimes people really are just hardcore fans and they're dreaming of getting on the radio, which is really not the point. Oh, like they, they want to be on the they radio. They want to be I on the you. radio. They want to. And they, so they've scripted out their interaction to make it, you know. And, they're and waiting for Terry Gross to give them a call saying, I want you on, I heard you, you got, I heard yeah. you on StoryCorps. You're hired. Yeah. <laughs> And you know, it I was a huge fangirl of StoryCorps for years, but right. uh, but I think it's an easy pitfall to think like if I script something, it'll be it'll be flawless, and that's really not what we're going for. Like the magic of StoryCorps is that is that rawness, that honesty, that you know responsiveness to what people are saying in the moment and really listening. Um, so so yeah, they're minor things that we'll see sometimes, and we always try to encourage people as best we can to sort of really take advantage of the moment. What a great experience that you're offering and um, on both sides for the people that are coming there and for the staff that's, you know, your crew that's there is really oh, yeah. unique and very interesting. Um, you know, I got to know, uh, tell me a little bit about uh, yourself, you know, uh, what, where are you from? So I'm a, I'm a permanent nomad, my friend. Um, I was born in Boston and moved to, with my family to um, just north of Atlanta when I was seven, eight years old. And so I, I mostly grew up in, yeah, in the Atlanta suburbs. Um, but once I graduated high school, I've just kind of been on the move ever since. I went back to Boston for undergrad, lived in the Bay Area for a bunch of years, lived in D.C. for a bunch of years. Did went, you study broadcasting, though, or what was... I didn't. No, I mean, I studied communications. Oh, the failed law career. So I, my original plan was to be like an ACLU lawyer. Uh, so I studied communications with a concentration in pre-law. And then um, just decided I wanted to take a little time before jumping into law school to just sort of experience the working world and, and think through it before I, I put myself into such a sort of a rigorous, long-term, expensive process. Um, and I just, I think I got a little bit delighted by all of the other possibilities of, of living a, a slightly freer life. Um, I, I initially started at my very first job out of school. I was a marketing person for a startup, a tech startup company that ended up, that's what took me out to the, to the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, and was kind of working in Silicon Valley with all the tech nerds at the boom of Facebook and all of that stuff, which was wild and hilarious. We were actually next door neighbors to Twitter uh. back in the early days. It's <laughs> my little name drop. Um, a Twitter twister. Oh yeah. Uh, but I will say that when I was living out in, in Berkeley and San Francisco, that that's when I started listening to KQED really regularly and fell in love with StoryCorps. I mean, I can remember 
you know, those Friday mornings on the way to on the way to work, hearing those those conversations and thinking, gosh, I'm I'm really in the private sector, aren't I? But I would love to work for an organization like StoryCorps. I wonder how I could ever make that happen. Fast forward, well, I decided to take some time away from the United States. I taught English as a second language in Argentina for three and a half years, as you do. Um, became semi-fluent in Spanish. And it, it was interesting because it kind of gave me this, this time out to think about, okay, well, I'm going to go back to the States eventually. What am I going to do when I get back? Am I going to just insert myself back into the trajectory I was on before? Because that didn't seem to be totally working. I decided I wanted to live abroad and change careers. Um, and so I took some classes in um, you know, radio production and journalism, in part to see if I could survive them in Spanish, and in part just because I thought it'd be fun. Where did you take those classes? Just at a, like a community center in Buenos Aires. Okay. Like a sort of like multimedia. So you did that while you were uh, teaching English? Yes. Okay, gotcha. Mm -hmm. um, and then I got kind of hooked up with a, with a community radio station in Argentina and had a lot of fun with that. And decided bueno. like, all right, muy bueno. I think I'm going to go back to the States and, and see how the heck I could possibly get involved in radio. So I came back, landed at my dad's house, rubbed my eyes and thought, was that all just a dream? Now what do I do? Where are you? Are you I'm in Atlanta. Atlanta. Okay. Yeah, the north of Atlanta, back at my dad's house, in my pajama pants, and, uh, and started looking for gigs. And lo and behold, my beloved StoryCorps had that story booth in Atlanta, in downtown Atlanta, and they just happened to be looking for someone part-time who was comfortable with recording equipment, who could facilitate interviews in English and Spanish. Wow. And I said, I'm your girl. So here I am. How long ago was that? So that was in the very end of the summer of 2016. So it was two and a half years ago. I was working in the Atlanta booth for about six months. Just absolutely fell in love with it. Um, a full-time position opened up in Brooklyn on another facilitating team. I mentioned before we have those initiatives, right? Like Grio, Out Loud, One Small Step. So we have a team that's based in Brooklyn that essentially gets on airplanes and they fly um, to different locations to record special projects for three days, five days, 10 days, whatever. I was on that team for the first year. And then uh, the position as site manager for the mobile tour opened up and I just loved being on the road so much in the, my capacity on that other team. And I thought, well, I wanna be on the road full time. I wanna be on the longest journey I can be on. So I signed on for this job as a full-time site manager of the mobile tour in April of last year. And I'm actually, it's a one-year position and Chattanooga is my last stop. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's wild. Well, it is. Uh, well, we're glad that you're here. I am too. So the staff, um, what is the, what's this experience as far as the staff? When they, uh, I don't know, staff is, is a very square word, the crew, your gang. It's not, it's, <laughs> to me, everything you're saying, it just sounds like you're a band of misfits. Well, not a band. Well, a band of misfits <laughs> for sure. But you're like a band on the road, and you're just on yeah, tour. So yeah. that's kind of like what what everything you're saying equates to being on the road for me and being mm -hmm. a band. It sounds like you have a really good booking agent because everything is done <laughs> way in advance. That's and so I, yeah. I, I like those skills. I'm oh, very yeah. impressed by that and uh, slightly jealous. Uh, so what is the experience though, as far as everybody that you're with um, after uh, the mics are off, you're closing the door on the airstream. So do you interact with the city that you're involved with? Do you uh, talk to people? Do you experience the city that you're, you're, you're in? Mm, behind the scenes. Of course. That's the only <laughs> kind of scene to be into. Amen. Um, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I can't imagine a, a, a more fortunate way to travel than to be in a community where you're listening to people all day long talk about what's important to them in their lives and how they feel. You know, inevitably that's shaped by 
the community that they live in and the place where they are and the things that they love to do that make them feel like a resident there, right? Um, and so we just get this inside scoop from people about, you know, the places that are important or the history that's there or just like where to get a good burrito. Um, you know, these things come up um, either before or after. And, you know, people are really kind. They, they, they're like, what are, you, what are you doing here? What is your life like? How can we help? You know, go there. Have you checked out this band? And so, you know, we're always getting great tips from folks. I wish we had a little more time to explore. We usually, you know, I have a weekend. I'm not working Fridays and Saturdays. Um, and the staff, you know, they alternate. They've got um, Sunday, Monday, or Monday, Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday off. Um, so we don't have a ton of time together to explore. Um, so I spend a lot of time just kind of like hanging out on my own and going on long hikes and checking out bands on my own. But but even, you know, I've gotten really comfortable with just like sitting on the bar stool and like making friends with people on my own. Um, so this has been a really good, a really good lesson and just like getting comfortable interacting with the world while you're flying solo. Well, that's very important. What is the, I don't know if there even is one, but what, what is the ultimate goal that uh, StoryCorps likes to uh, impart? Or, you know, what what is StoryCorps, at the end of the day, what does StoryCorps what, wanna do with everything? What are we for? Yeah, what are you for? Yeah. So our, our mission is um, to record and preserve the stories of humanity, to build connections between people, and in doing so, hopefully to create a more just and compassionate world. So those connections start between the two people who are sitting across the table from one another and experiencing that unique sensation of uninterrupted listening and intentional expression. And then from there, we hope that they carry that out to others and they continue having those conversations. But we broadcast and share moments from these interactions because, I mean, we think that there's nothing more human than this experience of really listening and really and really expressing what matters to one another. And in sharing stories across the country from, you know, people that they would never meet otherwise, from interactions that they would never witness otherwise, uh, that that taps into the humanity in all of us and that that might move the needle a little bit in helping us realize like, oh, people who are from Chattanooga, people who grew up and experienced segregation, or people who, you know, have have been farmers who've never lived in a city in their life. Like, we do share some of the same concerns. Like, we all love our children. We all have hopes for the future. We all have a moment that we're proud of and something that makes us fearful. Um, and, and being able to hear that from one another, despite all of our supposed differences, can hopefully create a world that's a little bit more understanding and compassionate. Listening is uh, important. It's hard to do sometimes because people want to uh, chomp at the bit to get involved in the conversation without like processing. So that's like a, a, yeah. a heavy skill, you know? It really is. It really is. I've certainly learned that. I mean, I'm in the room listening intentionally, you know, for hours on end. Um, and I'll come across moments sometimes where I'm like, ah, I want to chime in because I'm so excited about something someone has said. But it's not my space, you know? It's that person's space. And 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 it's so interesting to see, you know, more often than not, people come in with someone that they, they've known for years and they think they know everything about one another. And they're like, well, we should probably do StoryCorps. And more often than not, people end up discovering something about that person that they never knew. Very intimate and voyeuristic. Indeed. Um, why, the last question, you had sort of said it uh, just in conversation and I, I thought it was a great question. Um, or that I wanted to ask you, this will be the last thing that we do. Uh, why, uh, why do stories, uh, why do they matter, do you think? Why, why is it important that we uh, archive these and why do you think it's important that uh, we tell stories and tell people that we love or we don't even uh, know 
uh, a tale. Stories are really powerful, right? And and as you just said, like this experience of, of listening to one another and stepping away from the distractions or deflections, you know, sarcasm, cell phones, um, really, really brings a, a much more impactful tone to the to the interaction. And people, since the beginning of time, have loved, you know, like it's a great way to, to just communicate experience through the telling of a story. And you can't argue with somebody's experience of their own life. You know, you don't have to be an expert to know what you've lived. Um, and so the opportunity to, to tell your story is an opportunity to remind yourself and the people in your life that you have lived a life that has collected wisdom and experience and something of value to share forward along the way. Um, and it, giving people the opportunity to preserve those stories, um, you know, for it's it's been incredible to see people who um, never imagined that they would have their mark on history, right? To suddenly now know that their voices are preserved in this federal institution in the Library of Congress and that their great-great-great-grandchildren will get to know what it was like to grow up in the 50s in Tennessee. Um, maybe nothing much seemed to happen, but now you know. And frankly, listening to that 200 years from now and hearing the emotion, you know, the sensation in somebody's voice just speaks volumes about what that person has lived. So we we are really, really excited. I mean, people love the broadcast, and, and there's so much to the broadcast, but I think the legacy that we're really creating is this archive when people are going to be able to go back and get to know who we were hundreds of years from now. Well, it's a beautiful thing, and I'm really glad that you guys are in town. I, I think it's great uh, for the city of Chattanooga. Why don't you please say whatever you want to say as far as how people can uh, get in contact with StoryCorps and also whatever sort of promo things. Let it, let it rip. Let it rip. Thank you. Well, sure. so we are parked in Miller Park in Chattanooga. Uh, we are there now, and we will be there until April 17th. Um, you can make appointments. I think we still have some available online. If you go to storycorps.org slash participate, you'll see a big box that says Chattanooga, Tennessee. Click on it and find an appointment time that works for you and pick someone to come in that you want to honor through a conversation. Um, there's one other thing that I want to shout out, which is that we are having a listening event uh, that'll be at the Songbirds Guitar Museum on April 18th, the day after we close the doors of the booth. Um, and that the details on that are TBD. It's probably going to start around 6, 6.30. So um, we'll be promoting that out through Eventbrite. We'll have flyers at the booth, and um, WUCT will be shouting it out. Um, the listening event is a really, really lovely event. It's a couple hours. We get together, and we just celebrate some of the things that people have brought into that booth. We have a conversation with people in the room about um, you know, what it was like to, you know, what was surprising to them about sitting down and having that conversation, why storytelling matters to them, more importantly. Um, and we'll be sharing of course, some snippets and clips of, of some of the things that have been shared while we're here. That's great. Is there a, a website or anything if someone wants to, I don't know if you said it or not or, or already or what. So for appointments for the... Or just, just, just in general, just, just to... To hear what's going just on. Just to peruse and see what's happening. Well, you can definitely go to, if you go to Facebook, if you're a Facebook user um, and you search for the StoryCorps mobile tour, all the details of all of our events are always on our Facebook page. Um, you can check out WTC's page and look for, um, you know, banners for StoryCorps. They're going to have all the latest info on what we're up to um, or just come by the booth in Miller Park and we'll give you all the all the handouts. That's great. Jacqueline, thank you so much for taking the time to do this and I think it's a really uh, beautiful thing that you guys are doing and uh, I hope you have a good time in uh, Chattanooga. Thank you, Justin. Thanks for having me and thank you to the city of Chattanooga for having us. We're thrilled to be here and we're having a great time. 
Whoa, what a story. I'd like to thank Jacqueline Van Meter for taking the time to sit down and talking to me. I'd like to thank the whole StoryCorps crew sitting in the Airstream unit across the street in Miller Park. I'd like to thank the downtown Chattanooga Public Library for making this happen. I'd like to thank my own personal Charles Dickens behind the console, Mr. Charles Allison, for documenting this story. This is Justin Savage saying, don't let the flesh fall off the bone.